Welcome to The Counselor's Chair, a podcast brought to you by Traverse Counseling Services. Join us as we explore all things human, mental health, psychology, philosophy, and a few extras. Be sure to check us out on all forms of social media and visit our YouTube channel at The Counselor's Chair. Hey folks, Josh here, and welcome back to The Counselor's Chair. In this episode, we'll be talking with licensed professional counselor, certified supervisor, certified grief counselor, and Lee University professor, Lena Barber. Lena is a longtime friend of mine, and we're absolutely privileged to have her on for a conversation about grief. Our conversation wound up covering everything from teaching kids the grieving process to Lena's own experiences with grief, and a lot in between, including the role of spirituality and religion. Lena is a devout Christian, and as genuine about her beliefs as you're going to find, so it's really awesome to have this aspect explored in connection with grief. All that to say, this particular conversation is one of the most real, insightful, and meaningful conversations I've had in the last 10 years, and man, am I excited to share it. Alrighty, sit back, relax, and enjoy the listen. Cheers. Here, really appreciate you have, having you uh, having you here. Thank you for having me. I, I love being here with you. Yeah, absolutely. And today we're going to have a conversation about grief. Um, good grief. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's there's a, obviously a few reasons why I was really excited to have you on. Or we, Andrew isn't going to be with us today, by the way, guys. Um, <clears throat> he's on, on vacation and he's out for the next couple of weekends, so um, so it's just Lena and I today. But so I I said I, but I meant we. <laughs> We're really happy to have you on the podcast for several reasons. One being that you're a certified grief counselor, correct? Yes. And yes. plenty of experience in the field, and also even volunteering at hospice and probably a myriad of things I don't even know about. But also your own personal story too, and um, hopefully we can get into get into some of that today okay yeah i'd be happy to awesome so i'd i thought a great question to just kick it off with would be like how i guess from your experience and from your education how do you define grief Mm. i think grief i think we grieve a lot when we don't realize it uh Mm. we're grieving because we consider that we have losses, but nobody ever taught us how to lose, you know, from the Uh, moment of birth, mm -hmm. we're taught to get a good education, to get a job, to get, to get, to get. Yeah. And our parents, um, being good parents, avoid loss with us and and try to protect us from that. Mm -hmm. And and I think uh, we're not aware of that. So grief I think is any change of the normal routine. Hmm. And you can even have grief when it's a good thing, like going away to college. Uh, yeah. uh, and we don't see that. And, and so we wonder, um, why am I feeling so bad when I should be feeling good? And you hmm. know that should is, is a curse word. Mm-hmm. Um, because <laughs> um, we, we're just not, um, we're not educated in the possibility that there are other losses other than death uh-huh. and even in good things we have we have a loss of dependence hmm. when we come to school hmm. we have a loss of family we have a loss of being right there um and even though it's a good thing 
there's still a loss. Mm -hmm. Just as there's a loss uh, of anything like that, that we we change our normal routine. And I think that's what grief really is, is learning the new routine. Ah, what a good way to put it. And so, yeah, and so it is this emotional roller coaster. Uh, Grief consists of so much of that. And we have never learned that two uh, extremely different emotions can coexist. Mm. And so uh, grief turns us uh, into a lot of turmoil because we've never learned how to do that. Mm. Mm. And so um, avoiding loss um, by anything that we can Mm. really uh, is detrimental to us, even with our children. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I'll tell you something today with your three children (laughs) that you can see and that... Uh, will make you very aware of that. Yeah, and I think you you already hit on one, which is as a parent, it's our roles to help our children yeah. understand and grandchildren to understand yeah. what loss is Absolutely. and what death is as well and in regards to all the other losses or changes that you talked about as well. Yeah. And then how to cope with those. Um, it reminds me of two things. One, this is this really is an excellent, this is going to be an excellent follow-up to the last podcast we did uh, because um we we talked about the avoidance of death altogether in our own minds um, and talked about personally accepting that Mm -hmm. but i think grief starts to extend too Mm -hmm. to when there's losses in your environment or in your family um and so that's that you definitely hit on something there and also hit on something as a parent like i was i was reading an existential text uh in the last couple of months and i may have mentioned it before but they actually say the existentialists say it's the primary role of the parent to help your child understand and conceptualize death right and i mean they put a lot of emphasis right. on it, right the primary role but it made me think of today i took i took avid fishing uh-huh. um i took him fishing early this morning <clears throat> and we were we were walking on the trail back to the car and there was a father and son fishing and he had he had stopped. He had stopped me. He was like, "Hey, I'm here with my son too." His son looked like he was maybe thirty, uh, yeah. and so he was. He looked maybe in his early fifties, uh, mid fifties, and so we talked for a little while. And I told him, "I was like, man, I really hope that, you know, I hope that someday, uh, my son and I are still fishing at that age." And we were walking on the trail, and I actually said that to Avid. He, you know, I was yeah. like, "Oh, we're gonna be doing. We'll be doing this for." the rest of our lives and he was like yep and then you're then you're gonna die and wow. I was like, yeah you're right I will and and I was like, but you get to teach this to your kids yeah. right and he was like yeah and then they can teach it to their kids and they can teach it to their kids and then he said something along the lines of like and we get to like we get to live on that way he said something along those Very lines good. way more way more kid conceptualized yeah. in those words but very good yeah it just made me it made me think of think of that and i thought man oh thank god i'm doing something right You're for him to <laughs> something yeah. right for him yeah. to for him to put words around it like yeah. that so when you said that that made me think of that yeah. um but i guess i too i i i whenever i think grief i immediately go to death and loss right yes. but i think yes um you know uh, there's you accented grief when somebody's just going away to college that yeah. type of change the last the lack of dependence yeah. or even for the parents sure. grieving yeah. the lack of dependence from their from their children um yeah. you know i i'm 
I guess in regards to to that type, particularly in a parental parental role, like how how have you how have you handled the transitions of your own mm. children in their adult lives? And um, you know, what what are some of the things that you feel like you've done over the course of their lives, maybe yeah. to help them understand yeah. loss and the grieving process? Well, I, let me let me go back to when they were children, and I wish I could do it all over again because you know we're always evolving, mm-hmm. and I've learned a lot of this since they've grown up. But I get to use this with my grandchildren, oh. and in that we can still help. And and do you remember that, uh, especially in my generation, a lot of the people that had losses, they would send the children to the other room. Mm. They didn't involve them. Um, And so when my dad was sick with cancer eight years ago, uh, he died eight years ago, uh, but when he was sick, we made sure that the girls were involved. And I think they were uh, five and three. Uh. And so the granddaughters. And so... um, I don't know whether you ever did this, but little girls always like to play waitress. Uh. And so they'd get a little paper and pen, and we got Dad a doorbell. And every time he wanted something from his Uh. hospice bed, he'd ring that doorbell, and they'd come running. (laughs) And um, they would take his order, get him Uh. water, or uh, take him to the bathroom, and they'd do a choo-choo train to the bathroom, and he would Uh. hold their shoulders. Hmm. Um, It's very important to involve them, to let them know what's happening, not to... uh, you protect them by by being a community. Mm. You protect them by oh, saying, we're going to do this together. together. You'll never have to be alone. Mm-hmm. You don't isolate them. Right. You're not protecting them from the loss. Like the community aspect and the yeah. support within the community is sort of the protection of their innocence. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, huh. absolutely. And so um, they they were part of it. They uh, they were never, because think about it, when children go to the other room, they only have their peers to answer the questions. Hmm. And so the questions that they have, mm. you never hear because they're in the other room. Uh, and, and certainly they're you know, I've heard so many people say, my children won't go to a funeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll leave them home. And uh, I think it's very important to include mm-hmm. the scariest thing in the world to a child is to, to be isolated and for grown-ups to be talking about something. Certainly, they don't need to hear everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't need to be in on the d- tough decision-making that you're doing. But like my dad started taking chemo and he was losing his hair. Mm-hmm. And we had a hair cutting party, uh. and we, I brought wigs and hats, <laughs> and um, we gave him a mohawk first, and then, uh, you know, we, we had a really good time doing this, and we explained to them he's going to take chemo treatment to mm. try to get him through this part of his cancer so he can be healthy. Um, the fact of life is that we're all going to die. Mm. And um, I know my family always prayed that the Lord would come and take us all together, yeah, right? Yeah. That's the yeah, that's, that's the, the thing we pray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's all go together so nobody has to stay behind and mm. grieve. Mm. Um, I have one little story that was very significant. It was about that time, and I was staying 
at my mom and dad's house with them. And then my daughter with the, the mother of my grandchildren was our backyards intersected. So they were there a lot. Okay. And so we were, they were, they came to get me and said there was a mommy bird that had baby birds in a light over their deck. Mm-hmm. And we could see it from the deck if we stood off. So we were watching this. My mother was out there, my daughter, the two girls, and we were, and you know, it was a scientific educational thing. We were <laughs> explaining that the mommy bird was getting worms and chewing them up, and they would say, oh, gross. And it was, we were all um, involved in this. And about the third trip out, one little bird came out too far from the nest and oh. fell to its death. Oh. And you're, the first instinct my daughter had was to take her two girls and pull her face away from them and toward her. And so I, I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, I mouth, do you trust me? Because I do not get involved in my daughter raising mm. her children because I had my, you know, I had my turn. Now it's hers. Yeah. But she did. And I stooped down to them and I said girls I think the baby bird might be dead and they start crying all over again my daughters wonder what (laughs) (laughs) and so I said I think the baby bird might be dead I'm gonna go check on it but I need some gloves so one of the little girls ran inside got gloves and uh, we we looked and sure enough the baby bird wasn't moving Mm. I didn't even think about if the mother bird had come back. Mm -hmm. Um, But I said, uh, the baby bird is dead, crying again. And here's the thing that I do. I want to go back to this. Um, We give nonverbal cues about that crying is bad. Mm -hmm. And we give it to children early on. And it goes in songs like, big girls don't cry, big boys don't cry. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that happens when somebody cries is they're handed a tissue Mm. and and i never do that i'll put the tissue out and and i say at the beginning of my session there's the tissue if you want it but i'm really comfortable with your tears Mm -hmm. and so this is a safe place for you to be able to show that emotion Mm -hmm. because we've given we've been given all these nonverbal cues so the girls are crying. I'm crying too. I'm crying because they're crying, you yes. know? And so we're crying together. And I said, what do you think we should do? And they started thinking about, well, we need to have a funeral. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. And we were all plotting together. And that's what you do is you're together in this. Mm-hmm. And what they bring to the table is very important. Mm-hmm. And so they, it was right after Valentine's Day, it was the spring, and they had a box, a heart box, and one of them went and got the heart box. And we had a service for that baby bird that day that was unbelievable. One sang, one preached, <laughs> and we buried that bird under the bush. That's sweet. And yeah, and and that was, but these small things, think about it. They didn't know this bird. Mm-hmm. They had just watched it for a couple of minutes. And they had no relationship with the bird, right? Mm-hmm. And what a perfect opportunity to teach them about death. Yes. You know, it's it instead of protecting them from it and not allowing them to, to become resilient in loss, uh. um, we, we robbed them mm-hmm. of this great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was, this is, the, this is what I always say, you know, this is sad and it hurts. But we're all in this together. Nobody's going to be isolated. And nobody's going to go through this alone. And what are the, one of the myths I think that we were raised with is if you're going to grieve, you grieve alone. 
And it said to us this way, if you're going to cry, go to your room. Mm. Or remember this, if you're going to cry, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Ah, right? right? And so we, we tend to isolate that. And I think there are so many recorded messages that were given, even non-verbally, that we grow up with that play out later on in our life. And, and I'll give you, for instance... Um, what about replace the loss? Remember the mm. first time you lost a pet? Mm. Yeah, I, I do. Actually, it was uh, the one that's coming to mind was a turtle. A yeah. turtle? Yeah, it was a turtle. Did you cry? Um, yeah. Yeah, especially because I we assumed that he died. He actually disappeared on us. But in my mind, sure. I thought this turtle had died like a predator had come and yes. it was like a wild turtle but we had it in a little pin under yeah. my playhouse uh, when we lived in DC so yeah that's that's the first real animal loss I yeah. remember and especially because I didn't get to part ways with it absolutely actually, yeah. which is very critical in the grieving process mm-hmm. closure the, burying that bird was closure for them yes and and funerals have their rightful place i Mm -hmm. think it it gives you opportunity to to go the gamut with it you know my first loss was a little duck Uh. uh it used to be that at easter they could uh they would um dye the ducks. I don't think you can do that anymore. <laughs> but I had a blue duck and I remember one day Ooh, after awesome. what I know one day after school, it was in the kitchen. We had a little pen over in the corner, uh right right at the back deck and um I was looking in the cupboards and you know how you balance kind of on your with your knees bent, you're mm-hmm. looking and I lost my balance and I fell right on my duck. <gasps> And I didn't kill it. Mm. The duck, I broke its neck, and he went all around the kitchen quacking. And I ran to my room saying, I was a murderer. I'm a murderer. I'm a murderer. And my brother had to finish the job. Mm. Uh, But I cried long enough that I got another animal, Mm -hmm. replacing the loss, right? And so how does that, instead of grieving it, and I think this is also true in relationships. Uh. So, so how does it look when you get out of a relationship? Do you grieve that relationship? Do you go through the baggage, baggage and say, what can I have done differently? What have I learned from it? Mm-hmm. Um, can I see red flags earlier? What can I look for? Mm-hmm. But we've told ourselves that we don't hurt as badly if we hurry up and get into another relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I see it... Um, all the time with young people getting out of a relationship on Friday and by Monday they've got a new boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Mm. So yeah, there's a lot to be learned in the grieving process. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And a lot of a lot of life lessons that you can take away, those red flags that you were talking about, or um like maybe it's an indication too of whether you should be in a relationship or not. Absolutely. At all. Um I was thinking too, Lena, that idea of um I, I was kind of solid in two separate pieces that one where um you're talking about isolating isolating the child mm-hmm. and then the parent taking on the brunt of the grieving process yeah. i think too what might happen there i just thought of it as you were saying it is that 
it reinforces to the child later on in life that that's how they should deal with Absolutely. grief too. They should protect their children Absolutely. from it because they get to a certain age and they realize, wow, my my mom or my dad completely or my grandparents or my teachers or whoever is primary in their life, they, I guess they, they realize they hid a lot from me yeah. in regards to death. So that must be what I need to do for everyone sure. else around me. Sure. And so then we have this really unhealthy conceptualization that that grief is sort of this burden that we place on to ourselves right. and try and protect everyone from in our adult lives, right. which, um, again, you get no community connection right. in, that, yeah. in that at all. And I guess that would explain why, too, uh, when you get to adulthood and don't have a conceptual framework for grief, why that replacement thing comes in. Absolutely. It's like you don't know what to do, right. so you just replace the duck. Right. Right. You don't know what to Absolutely, do, so you just yeah. get you another duck. Because like, this hurts, and I'm not used to this feeling. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I don't want to allow this. And so mm-hmm. what am I going to do? I'm going to replace it, and I won't hurt as badly. Mm-hmm. And what happens after that is we've done that so many times that we're not emotionally healthy. That does not bring out emotional health because mm-hmm. it. So what we do is we learn to 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 wear the mask, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't show it. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've gone through a receiving line at a funeral and there are children um, involved, and somebody will bend down and say to them, "You're gonna have to be." the adult now you're gonna have to be you know you're gonna have to be strong and Mm -hmm. what that communicates to the child is being strong is not crying Hmm. and so not being emotional and not showing emotion Mm. and not being sad and Uh, so what you do is learn to wear this mask early on And the mask hides so much, and and what happened? It's like a tea kettle that doesn't have the little hole at the top oh. for the steam to come out, and all this steam builds up and builds up and builds up. Mm. And when when it does, it will absolutely it ambushes you. Well, it's like a pressure cooker at that absolutely. point. Absolutely, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. And you you have all these, you have maybe large losses, but then smaller losses, sort of interlaced with each other throughout life and it's no wonder even in my own life why I hit age 25 and had had I felt like I had so much unresolved unresolved grieving and and this was particular that was about five years after my grandfather had passed away which I just put out a little post about if anybody's interested they can check that yeah I'd like to see that too um but I you know I felt like I had so much unresolved unresolved mm. grief personally i i know that i buried myself in work so that's i replaced Keep busy that's another yes, myth right, right yeah i've replaced my grandfather with you know a full-time a full-time uh a full-time school load actually i was doing 21 credit hours in the last semester of my senior year i was doing 21 credit hours wow. i was working 30 hours a week oh my goodness Dick's sporting goods and then doing a full-time internship on the weekend Mm-mm. at a church and so you i just i buried mm-hmm. i buried myself by the time i hit late college and i remember like after i graduated i went home and just like had no idea what to what to do sure, with myself sure. i didn't have work to go straight into mm-hmm. but when i found it i 
I did. Yeah. Um, and I and I extended myself in those ways. And in some of the relational patterns that you were talking about, right. too, like in relationships, I wound up doing some of those very, very same things. But you have these compounded griefs, I yeah. guess, or grieving phases that we need to go through. Absolutely. And we just... We Absolutely. just avoid them, I guess, too, because it keeps us from acknowledging that we're also, right. like, we're also going to die. Like, yes. addressing the death of someone else or the loss of dependence or anything like that is an acknowledgement of our own finitude. It's we want to avoid Absolutely. that at all costs. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's um, that's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. I I wonder, like, do you? I don't know. In your work with hospice, so could. Uh-huh. Could you break down a little bit what you do yeah, with hospice? Because yeah, yeah. I know you've volunteered with them uh, yes, over the years. Yes, I have. I don't do it as much anymore. But I tell you, I got into hospice after, you remember Dr. Bowdle, mm-hmm. his first wife, yes. uh, Nancy, um, had Lou Gehrig's disease. And, and I watched him grieve while she was still living. And mm. that was my first um acknowledgement of, of just looking at it and and he would come by my office and we'd talk and he and I would ask him please tell me if I ever offend you and mm. people are so good about that if they know um, if they know you and mm-hmm. that you won't be offensive that you're not offensive and he helped me more than anything um, but I remember one day he came in and said I think I've taken her to the mall for the last time mm. because I, I have to strap her in the wheelchair and I think now she's bed bound mm. and and he cried and I went, oh, you're already grieving. And when I said that, he left and I went, oh no, I've said something to mm. offend him. And um, he came back and I said, please tell me. And he said, no, it was the first time I realized, yes, I'm already grieving right. because there are things that are stopping that... And so, especially when a lover turns into a caregiver and changes roles, Mm -hmm. uh, you're already going through the grief process while the person is still there. Yes. And uh, when she died, I I did my hospice training. I wanted to do something substantial for her because I would go visit her while he would teach some. Uh, I would stay with her. And instead of flowers... I wanted to do something, and I realized how hospice was for her. The hospice volunteers would come and play the piano for her, wow. and they were just amazing. And so I did the training for to be a volunteer, and um, my first client, my first patient, um, this is what I would ask, Lord, you know, I, I'm teaching, and I'm with college students all day and they're just at the prime of life mm-hmm. and I don't get that I like the extremes I, the pendulum the way it swings mm-hmm. I, it's crazy but I do and um, I, I said Lord help me if they're because I don't think anybody needs to die alone mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing to me mm-hmm. help me to um, be with them and if I can bring them to know you, if they haven't had the opportunity, mm-hmm. um, you make way. And, and for a long, a long time, I would wait until the right time because I think we push our agenda. Mm-hmm. And that was an agenda. But we don't allow the Holy Spirit to convict. Mm-hmm. And so I, I prayed that God would make my spirit to where I would know when it was the opportunity was right yes. not make it happen mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm. well you can't so, force comfort yes right? yes like you, you can't 
force comfort, right you know, whether it's whether it's faith comfort or whether it's physical comfort Absolutely. like you can't you can't force that on someone right. if they're not actually right. in a spot to receive it yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so i had this one one patient my first patient and he was mean as a snake. He was 71 years old, and he wasn't watching TV. We would sit for two hours while his wife was at a meeting, and he was sitting with his oxygen in his nose when I first started, and uh, he would be on the couch right across from me, and we would look at each other about like you and I are looking right now, <laughs> except I could tell he was peeved at me because he didn't even want me there. Uh, um, and the first thing uh, that hospice told me, and, and I'm working with a different hospice now, was um, I don't get used to him because she dismisses somebody the first time after every every. T- somebody only goes one time Mm -hmm. to see him okay so i'm trying to find something that we can talk about for two hours and i see a picture of him in a uniform military uniform Uh, and my dad was mm -hmm. uh and i'm an army brat right and so i that was it and he looked like rhett butler in this picture with his (laughs) uniform and i i stood up and got it eight by ten picture and i said is this you and he said, yeah, that's me. And we start talking about Germany because my mother's German. Mm-hmm. And so I speak a little German to him, and we just hit it off. Mm-hmm. And um, he did tell me that night, he said, my wife's trying to kill me. And I said, what makes you say that? And he said, she won't let me smoke. And I said, well, well, sir, you have oxygen. <laughs> Contrary, she is trying to keep you alive and, and to keep the house from blowing up. But we found out the reason she dismissed people was because she had a voice-activated tape player, and every time he would say this to a volunteer, they'd say, really? You know, and they would let him Mm. believe that. But I spoke in defense of her, so Uh, she let me stay, which mm -hmm. was great. Mm. You spoke truth. Yes. (laughs) So I had him for, I, I went to see him every Thursday night for several months. And I never found the opportunity in until very near the end. And he said, um... One night I came in, and sure enough, she was turning his oxygen on mm-hmm. off. And I, when I'd come in, I'd turn it on, right? <laughs> and so it was cold. One night I could see my breath in the bedroom that she had put him in. He was bed-bound, um, and he just had a T-shirt on with a blanket over him. And I remember putting my coat over him because I didn't want to go through anything to try to find a blanket. And he was unconscious or sleeping. And so I'm trying to warm him up, and I bend over his bed, and I'm I'm rubbing his arms and trying to, and I start humming, "Yes, Jesus loves me." And mm. I don't know why that song, but his eyes. I mean, I was in his space. His mm. eyes opened up really big, and he said, "Am I in heaven?" Ah. And, and I told my husband, I said, somebody thought I was an angel. <laughs> First and last time that's happened. But I said, he said, he said, no, I'm not in heaven. I'm too, I'm mean as a snake. I, and, and there was my opportunity. Mm-hmm. But he said, my mom used to sing me that song. And there it was. Uh. And I said, oh, your, your mom sang you songs like that. Then you were raised in the church. Yes. And he said, but I'm too mean. And God won't ha- even God won't have anything to do with me. And uh-huh. I remember telling him, "Have you ever washed a car?" And he looked at me like I was crazy. I, you know, I'm. Where are you getting this from? And he said, "Yes." And I said, "Wouldn't you rather wash a dirty one than a clean one? Mm. Because you can see the difference." Mm. 
and he began to cry. And I prayed the sinner's prayer with him that night no, after uh, months of being with him. And he died not long after. But mm-hmm. this was my first patient. And when he died, it I, it I was not ready for it. It threw me for a loop. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is what I'm getting into. I'm, you know, I'm getting close to people, and then they're dying. They're they're all dying because mm-hmm. that's why they're in hospice. They have six months or less to live, and so the next client I had was a sweet lady, and I'm so glad she was a Christian because I determined I would not get close to her, mm-hmm. and she died, and I felt horrible uh-huh. because I had not. And I said, God, I don't have this right. I don't have this right. Are you sure this is something I need to be doing? It's tearing my heart out, and I have to love them to do service with them. Mm. And when I remove my love from them, I'm not doing any good for them, but it's tearing my heart out. And God, it seemed, it reframed for me that, um, you know, you might be the last person that this person sees on earth. And if you see it as ushering someone into eternity, mm-hmm. Can you do that? Mm-hmm. And that's the way I reframed it. Mm-hmm. And so I sat with a lot of people at their at, with, with their last breath, taking their last breath. Mm-hmm. And they weren't all the same. No death is the same. Just like no grief is the same. It's unique to the person. But I found that there are some things worse than death, and that's to linger in pain. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's to be hopeless and and not have a hope for the future mm-hmm. and not have the hope of eternity. Mm-hmm. And so there are some things worse than death. And, and I have seen it's helped me reframe death in a way that uh, I have seen people leave that are so ready mm-hmm. that they're at peace. Mm-hmm. And there is such a difference when they don't fight. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and I can see your role as the angel there, <laughs> right? As like uh, a sort of helping, because I guess grief affects the person dying too, if it's Absolutely. not an immediate yeah. death. like to, They're grieving the loss of their own life. Yes. And there's a lot of coming to terms with, I mean, I've not been there personally, but even as you're saying like this, this gentleman woke up and was like, no, I'm, I'm mean as a snake. Like God wouldn't even, God wouldn't even get close to me. And here you are rubbing his arm. You know, it's like you're, you're in that space, I guess it's you and him, but it's that community buffer that you're talking about. It's like you are helping you're helping him come to terms or you're helping other people come to terms with the end of their life and sort of ushering them, ushering Mm -hmm. them through that process, helping them grieve the loss of their own lives and sort of preparing them for what's next. Um, You know, I I know everybody has like different ideas of heaven or or hell or an afterlife or some people don't believe in it at at all. But like for those, for those who do, I mean, to feel truly connected to it, I think you you do have to accept, mm-hmm. like you do have to accept your death to really feel truly connected um, to anything beyond right. anything beyond it. So I, that's, I mean, that's those are that's powerful because you also your second story says, well, it also it also has to be emotionally connected. Absolutely. It can't just be I'm sitting here in the corner, sort of like 
not connected to this person, right. not bringing my love into this room, but it's that love and that care and compassion that actually helps people Absolutely. Grieve, right? Absolutely, yes. Huh. Wow. And I can't think of a better person. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> I can't you just think love of a better, me. I do. I do. Um, well, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's some very powerful, some very powerful advice and um, conceptualization of grief, both helping. It's interesting. We went from one end of the spectrum mm-hmm. to the other, mm-hmm. like helping children understand mm-hmm. grief to uh, this, to helping someone who's about to die right. understand grief. But what's interesting is Lena, you've been, you've been uh, an instrument in both, mm. in both ends. I don't know that everybody has this experience with hospice or sitting with people as they die, maybe once or twice that's happened in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's an, in, it's an incredible thing that you can speak from both, from both sides of that. I was watching, um, a movie with the kids is called The Little Prince. It's a special on Netflix, and I had no idea. We didn't. We had. I, I knew it was a kid's book, mm-hmm. but I had no idea what the book was about, and I certainly didn't expect what happened in the documentary, but it was an in-depth, uh, metaphorical, and also in-your-face uh, story that walks through a little girl grieving the loss of her neighbor and understanding death. And he really, I mean, it's, it's so beautifully done, but I think the end of the story brings it together really well, which is like to be a good grown up, mm-hmm. um, you can't stuff all of your emotions. Mm-hmm. You can't overwork yourself and just pursue money or pursue right. work or pursue the next new thing or pursue the best school or pursue the best education. It's like those things aren't bad, but if they come at the cost of your emotions, you don't grow, you wind up not growing up well, and then you have no idea how to handle that grief. So that's, I yeah. just like popped into my mind because this little girl sat at the bedside with her neighbor at the end of this story wow. as he died. And that's how that's how this thing yeah. wraps up. And it's a very powerful one. My kids had a ton of questions I bet. at the end of it. But she, she in his last words to her, were, you're going to make a great grown up. That's yeah. what he says to her. And so it's like this, I don't know, it covered both it's ends beautiful. of the spectrum. I have know. a book for you. A friend of mine just wrote for children um, that she she loses um, a friend of her, uh, her friend's sibling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it goes through a lot of what you do and how you talk to children about it. Jeannie Bird, okay, uh, she's coming to teach one of my on- encore classes nice. about how to deal with children. But she was a principal for many years, and so I'm going to leave a book for you in here. Yeah, please do. Uh, that you can keep. Is in it a here. kid's book? Yeah. Oh, maybe I'll yeah. read it on the podcast or something. Absolutely, like that. that yeah. would be fantastic. Yeah. And so I'll give that to you for sure. Um, I, I the thing of it is that we have the opportunity to make it not this scary thing by introducing it early on and Mm -hmm. in significant ways that touch the child. Mm. Like watching a movie. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Or like, um, you know, we have um, my neighbor, um, her son is just going through, he has a brain tumor, going through illnesses and things like that that we cannot protect our children from. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it brings questions to them very early on that 
we need to be ready to answer. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one of my granddaughters uh, asked me one time because we got some uh, news about her mother that uh, she had an incurable disease and, and um, she is so much better right now and we thank God for that. Mm. But um, we, she, she said, is she going to be all right? I can't answer that. But what I can do is sit with her and hold her and cry with her and show and model for her what we do and we don't do it alone. Mm -hmm. We have family. And the and I you know, it it hit me this past year has been a rough year for me. And all of this happened during that time and, and and I felt so for the first time in my life I felt anxious. For the first time in my life, I felt sad, really sad, Mm -hmm. and uh, depression. I could see it coming Mm -hmm. because there was nothing I could do about my daughter, about uh, the diagnosis they gave her. And and I thought, I I told God, God, this is something I cannot. uh, This has, it got me. Mm. It buckled me at the knees. Mm -hmm. And... I, I dealt with it for a couple of weeks, and I just felt this cloud over me. And uh, I remember one day saying, God, I gave her to you. I dedicated her to you when she was born. I am not taking her out of your hands because they're still the best hands to be in. Mm. So the only thing I can control, because we're all going to die, right? Yeah. The only thing I can control, we don't know when or the vehicle that's going to take us there. That's the thing that scares me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I hope I'm not embarrassed by me it, too. you know. <laughs> but I, I hope mine isn't alone too. Right, like right, yeah, right. Yeah. And so we don't have, con- but what can we control? We can love extravagantly every single day mm. that we have people in our lives. Mm. Because too many times something is gone and we did not take a moment mm to be thankful that we had them there then. Mm-hmm. And so words, um, if anything, death coming into my home has made me so aware of the people I have here now that I love, and mm-hmm. I love them extravagantly, Yes, right? And, mm-hmm. and it has to be extravagant. Mm-hmm. So there are no, there, there's no room for me to argue. Yes. There's no room for me to, to uh, not be at peace with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, because we realize what's important Mm -hmm. and we love each other and we're all in this together and anything we do we do together and there's so much comfort in that honestly Mm -hmm. um i can i can say that that released my anxiety i i used to go to work in the morning and this song would come on and it was like god put it there it's a secular song everything's gonna be all right Mm -hmm. is it the bob marley song yes i love it i love it just listening to that in the car with avid on the way back over i love that song and that would be like that would be on on the radio and i would go thank you Mm -hmm. thank you god thank you Mm -hmm. and just getting little uh things like that and after after phil died uh, I went to work. It was a couple of days later, and and I left a, my phone at home, so I got in the car, which made me late. But mm-hmm. because it was after eight o'clock, that song came on, and I went, "All right, Phil, mm-hmm. everything's going to be all right." Yes, yeah. And the lyrics to that song 
particularly like it, it, the woke up this morning mm-hmm. to the rise and sun three little birds on my doorstep singing sweet songs a melody pure and true this is my message for you it's just like that that simplicity and that oh like you said awareness uh-huh. that death bringing that awareness of of what is actually living around mm-hmm. us that we can love and that can love us back that absolutely that call to awareness and and i appreciate you bringing up phil for anybody listening phil is lena's husband who passed away earlier this year and so i appreciate you bringing that up lena and i know that that's i know that that's fresh and i know in the midst of it you were teaching Mm -hmm. a class on grief uh, right after that right after that happened but it's that that song bringing peace to you in that yes. in that moment and that message of like okay everything is everything's gonna be all right but that's that's kind of up to you in your own mind absolutely right and absolutely that death can really death being an endpoint or just death helping open up our eyes to everything mm-hmm. it's like it's it's all right if i participate mm-hmm. it's not all right if i don't participate mm-hmm. though right mm-hmm. if, if mm-hmm. i completely mm-hmm. withdraw right, right now then it's not all, things are not going to be all right but if i stay like if i try mm-hmm. and keep stay plugged in and i think i think too in hearing that and kind of thinking about it it's it's also like you have something to receive there too, yeah, right? I, I remember having conversations with you about the things that you had brought up over the last few minutes and like I received from you and I hope that you received from me, absolutely. but that was an opportunity for us to to give to each other, yes, right? Yes. And so, yeah, I, that that is, I think, one of the more hopeful parts of grief. Yeah, is if you can absolutely connect because there can still be hope and grief that's not even plugged into eternity that's even plugged absolutely in right, right now in the yes. moment and that's yes. the hope and gratefulness for the world and people right. around you particularly your family yes. and this grieving process pulling you guys so tightly together absolutely. to have seen that over the last right. year um right yeah. well we had the opportunity my girls my daughters uh were there with me when mm-hmm. Phil took his last breath, it was the first time, I think, maybe my oldest daughter, she's a preacher's wife, so she may have been around that before, but certainly for, for Katie, it was her first time, and for it to be someone so close to you. But um, because, and I see this, I look for nuggets, mm-hmm. even in the worst day, even if you have to dig through a lot of crap, mm-hmm. you're you look for that nugget and you'll find it, mm-hmm. right? You, mm-hmm. you okay? What good? What possible good has come out of this? And and um, and so I look for those nuggets. Um, I I got to call my daughters in when I saw my husband was taking his last breath, and we certainly did not expect to lose him. Um, but I, I asked him to come in, and, and I said, he was facing me. We had him propped up facing me, and I asked them to come in behind him and say whatever they wanted to say to him because we were getting ready to witness a miracle. And, um, and we were ushering him into heaven, and this is exactly how he wanted to go. Mm. He refused to go to the hospital. Um, he sent the EMT away, and um, he... Very few people get to say, 
this is how I'm going to go. And I mm-hmm. absolutely believe that he was honored in dying peacefully at home. And they came in and they began to tell him how much they loved him mm-hmm. and uh, how, how great a father he was. And the whole 24 hours before we had w- was a gift. We had, uh, he, he wasn't in pain, he was short of oxygen. Uh, we didn't realize it then, but his heart was already starting to fail him. Mm. And um, he had a sense of humor. He was lucid. He blessed our girls, both of them, told them how proud he was of them. And uh, we laughed and and we talked about what an unlikely pair we were. Yeah. He was He was more <laughs> of an introvert, and I'm not, mm. but uh, we laughed about those things and reminisced about all of 48 years. I just celebrated 48, mm. my 48th anniversary. And uh, and I did celebrate it. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, but I did. I had friends over and mm. and it was beautiful. And that's why community is so important. And my girls mm-hmm. and my son-in-law and my granddaughters took me out to eat and we had a wonderful evening. Mm-hmm. And we celebrate our life together. 48 years um, is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think... When we grieve without regret, and this gave them an opportunity to come in and say those words, and I said, he hears you, so say whatever you want to say because I don't want you to grieve with regret of not being able to have said what you need Mm -hmm. to say. Now, if we live, uh, and and I'm so sorry for those people that uh, are hurt because they didn't have the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. This is why I think... If we live our lives loving extravagantly, we won't grieve with regret. Ah. And hmm. do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And if we live our lives and love those that are in our lives um, that God has put there, mm-hmm. and even if we made choices in in the middle of sin, still they're in our lives and and we love them extravagantly and that's not to say don't ever get a divorce i'm not saying that at well, all yeah, sure, sure i'm saying Boundaries. love those yeah. yeah love those people extravagantly that that are in your life that because a lot of times we treat the people that we're closest to the worst mm. right mm. i have been we can I, be so hard on we the people can. we know the best absolutely yes. because yes. we know they're going to forgive us mm. and uh, you know we just kind of take them for granted well and we see all we see all the things. Absolutely, right? so yeah. Sometimes feel it's our place to judge. Right, like right. Yeah. And so if we if we love extravagantly, and I think that's what the nugget that death has brought into my life. I know we're all going to die. I don't know when it's my last breath. Mm. I do not want somebody being hurt by something I said, mm. and it's staying with them the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Yes. And so I think um, I think when we live. And love like that. And I don't think I would have done that so well if I hadn't had the training uh, with hospice. And because you know what? It's really interesting. With hospice, my, my hospice patients, I've never had anybody say when, the, when the, they signed the paperwork that they realize the doctors have done everything they can for them. And they just, there's nothing else they can do unless God heals them. And, and that has happened. And... Um, but but when they do that, they never say, hey, let me go back to work. It's always relationship mending they want to do. Hmm. 
It's crazy, hmm. but it's always really. And I remember one lady that I worked with that was very promiscuous and her children were taken away from her early on. And now they were grown and she hadn't seen them in years because they had been adopted out. We got them back together to see their mother. Hmm. And, and so here's another thing. We often judge harshly. And when I heard this woman's story, she was 13 and her mother died of breast cancer. And this is what happened. She told her mom, I'm tired of staying in the hospital. I'm going to my friends. They're having a party. She was gone and the mother died. Mm. Think about the guilt that she Mm. lived with. And then her father remarried very quickly because he had been taking care of her and she was sick for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the, the stepmother didn't like her. Well, she found out early on, 13, 14, 15 years old, that... Um, she could, in order to get something she craved, which was love, she would give her body, mm. right? And so we don't understand why. We're very judgmental sometimes, and we say that's not the right way to live, mm. when I think we need to be more of a bridge. Mm. We, we, we bring the drawbridge up and let people drown in the moat, right? right? Mm-hmm. But if we're the drawbridge, uh, that, I think that's, that's what we're... I think that's what we're created for, mm-hmm. and um, and hear a person's story. And so there were a lot of uh, borderline personality disorder, a lot of things going on with her, but all she ever wanted was to be loved, and mm-hmm. she gave her body in order to get a moment's mm-hmm. love that mm-hmm. she assumed was love, and and it was the only kind of love that she had ever been given. Mm-hmm that she understood, and so she got a reputation for it. Um, being able to to walk with this lady and, and bringing her children, grown children by now, she had a grandbaby she didn't know about, bringing her grown children and watching them love each other and care for each other, I, the, the look on her face, I mean, she completely morphed into somebody else you know it was beautiful and all she ever wanted to be was a bride and she was never a bride Mm. do you know that we went to goodwill and bought her a wedding dress her (laughs) son and daughter and she and i while she was still doing well and she was buried in that wedding dress Mm. because we get to write the rules hey right yeah Yeah, you do we don't have to do it like everybody else does Mm -hmm. it and people it's okay if people think we're crazy Mm mm-hmm if they take a little time to get to know us. Well, it's like when you let the drawbridge down, you understand that that's not so crazy. Right. Like that that's, in, that's really important for her to have to have gotten that and for her family Absolutely. To, to be there and to be able to accept her in that state. I mean, that, that again is helping her grieve and helping Absolutely. them grieve. It was beautiful. Well, and it makes me think to one of my favorite authors and i think you know this Irvin yalom that mm-hmm. the listeners probably get tired of me bringing him <laughs> up but no he talks about this idea of rippling and it's not necessarily his idea uh, but it's like uh he's he's uh he doesn't believe in a god or an eternity but he he believes uh, he does believe that like his action his actions on earth have a tremendous ripple and impact and that's actually that's actually true i mean that's rippled into my life which is subsequently rippled way beyond me uh i'm thinking now as we're talking through this it's not just about like uh 
Like in that instance, whatever happened in that moment, she was also allowed to ripple into the generations that would have never had that impact to see that type of healing that can come in in a moment like that, right? right? It's like they actually got to experience the ripple. And in my work, in my work with clients as well, but even in my own personal idea of death, it feels really important to, for me and for the people that I've worked with to feel like they're leaving some sort, some sort of not not necessarily mark, mm-hmm. but just like they've made some sort of ripple. Impre- that's yeah. that some sort of impression that's going to move beyond. And like I think that can be just a simple act of dying well right. too. Right. I think right. about Phil and, and how he wanted that to be and and how you explain that. Like he 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 wanted that mm-hmm. and in essence he ripples into Absolutely. generations to come as like this is how you can die well right this is how you can die well this is what a this is what a, a good bookmark book yes. ending looks like Absolutely. while you're here on earth and i think um you know having read read some about um cancer support groups that becomes one of that that emerges oftentimes as one of the primary goals of the group is to because subsequently like their members are going to die like while they're in the group Mm -hmm. and so the members will take on a sort of whoever is the sickest sort of subconsciously takes on this mission of I, I want to show everyone how to die well. Mm. And part of that means accepting the death, mm-hmm. but also starting to really, really invest in the community that's around you to the Absolutely. best of your abilities. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And it's their grieving that that person is in the stages of grief themselves, right? Yeah. Which the stages of grief apply to the person dying yeah. as, as well. I think it oftentimes it gets teased out like the stages of grief are only for uh, those affected by death or for like family members or friends that have lost someone which this they can but those stages of grief are really for the person who's dying and so um i don't know i I, when you weave all of that when you weave all of that together i guess a a good ending well and i guess this is a little more difficult if you die suddenly right and that's kind of a different thing but when you have time when you have time with people and you know that your death is coming soon part of that grieving for yourself would be trying to ripple Mm -hmm. trying your best Mm -hmm. to ripple and i really see you as an agent in that story to help her actually Mm. have some sort of ripple and feel like okay like i can die now yeah yeah uh can we go back to the stages of grief yeah go for it uh kubler ross you know uh did the stages and and i remember Do- dr battle was the one that said it after his wife died he said they keep asking me why i'm not angry i don't i don't have anger toward god and uh, it, and it's like you have to go through this stage to get to the next one uh, you know she wrote that for people that have just gotten word that they have mm-hmm. an illness mm-hmm. so and and I, I do want to say this, that in grief, when we've lost someone, we're also uniquely different. Mm. That I think if we want a formula, right? Mm-hmm. Because a formula is easy to follow. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the grief walk, the grief journey is so individual that 
I, I don't think there are stages. Yeah, it's like a roller coaster. Actually. Absolutely. Like, you, like if there are stages, you're roller coastering between them, so you can go through one and then just sort of loop right Absolutely. back around it. Everybody's Absolutely. roller coaster looks completely different based yeah. on their experiences to their biology. I mean, that can, yeah, like that that spectrum can. Everybody's roller coaster. Yeah, and those are those are possible things that we deal with. Uh, Yes, you know. Okay, you can tell that that I'm a church girl. Girl, you know, Um, and a lot of times we are angry with God because we believe that when we ask, we shall receive, Mm. and we pray for healing. And I remember. Can I go on about this? Oh, please go for it. Um, I remember I did that with my dad. In fact, my mother. Oh my goodness, she was she she is just all about faith, and she she would not let people come and see him unless they believed he would be healed, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. But I remember when I had to take that curve and realize that he may die, mm. and it was not it didn't didn't mean my faith wasn't strong, right? Because we're all going to die. We can't prevent the inevitable. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I remember when I was praying and, and the prayer of faith, I thought, God, heal my dad, heal my dad. And then I realized that uh, if you are a Christian, if, if you're not a Christian, then you don't have to listen to this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you are a Christian, even Jesus Christ modeled it for us. When he was in, uh, when he was in the garden, he prayed till his sweat became his blood. Mm-hmm. That's how hard he prayed. Mm-hmm. Father, let this cup pass from me. Oh, he was very stressed. Right? Yeah. He wanted, he made his petition known. Mm-hmm. And I think we make our petition known. But we have to get to that faith part. And that's the part that says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Nevertheless, if my if my loved one is not healed, help me. Mm-hmm. Help me to know that you are still, mm-hmm. you know, that you're still divine. You're still God. Mm-hmm. Uh, help me know. And I guess the way you would put that uh because i think christians are the ones that get angry with god mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if if you're an atheist there's no anger there right right, right. so so anger at I, the universe yeah and the way but yeah, yeah but but i think that when we see that nevertheless not my will but thine be done when we get to that part there is such a and i i had to get there with my mother and my husband there is such a release and it's almost comforting it's almost a peace and it's hard to um explain but okay god uh I'm going to accept what happens next, mm-hmm. and it's not going to make me angry mm-hmm. um, because I realize we all are going to die. Mm-hmm. That That's the big news flash. We're mm-hmm. all going to do it. We just don't know when, mm-hmm. and we don't know how. Well, and that's such good advice, Lena, for the Christian, because what it what it does is it doesn't cause us to immediately put a buffer of heaven in place of our anxiety about death. Mm -hmm. Like what you just said means that you actually have to face reality. And then if, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're bringing God in to help you deal with the anxiety Mm -hmm. of, Oh wow. Not only is this person going to die, whether that's right now or two years from now or 10 years from now, but I am too. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that's the when you're talking about that garden scene where Jesus is, uh, where Jesus Christ is bleeding mm-hmm. from his pores due to the, the 
just a tremendous stress. Like he knows what's about to happen yeah. in the story. And he even says, mm. like, let it, pa- let it pass from me. Mm-hmm. Like take it or I'll take it. It's they're they're uh, they're very very powerful words, and if you go back and look at them, like I think Jesus actually toy, toys with the idea of death before death on the cross. Like mm-hmm. he toys with it in his head. You can hear it in his words, uh, in the way he frames things, in in the way in what he mm-hmm. says. He's he's like take it from take it from me. I can't I can't actually do this mm-hmm. thing. And so when we're talking about like the faith the faith of a Christian, like doubt has to actually, doubt actually has a place. Mm-hmm. It's what helps us realize that we are human and that we're Absolutely. not God himself. Absolutely. Right. Yes. It's like, and, yes. and Jesus was God and wasn't God. Yes. Right. And yes. so, but this doubt let him know that he wasn't God, that he was go- indeed going to have to mm. endure this end. And ultimately he brings it, he brings God back into it at the end of like, okay, like, I'll I'll do it. I'll do it. I think uh, there's this amazing scene in Indiana Jones, Raiders, no, not Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I I think it's that one where they're going to find the the Passover cup, uh, the cup of eternal life, Mm -hmm. right? And he's being chased by... uh, Sorry, a bunch of German Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> right? I know. I'm they're always like, bad. Guy. <laughs> I know. They're chasing him <laughs> down, and he comes to this cavern, and it looks like there's nothing. It looks it looks like a 400 foot drop off into a river, right. and the path he's supposed to go is directly across it. And he's looking at this book that his father gave him, and he has all these notes in the book. His father has taken notes about where he believes this cup is because his father was an archaeologist mm-hmm. too. He's an archaeologist. He's going to try and find this cup, but he's being chased. There's no way he can turn around. Mm-hmm. He has to go forward. And he's looking at it. And in the sketch, I believe that there's something to the extent of now it's time for the leap of faith. Like mm-hmm. something to the yeah. extent of that. It, and there's like nothing else in the mm. nothing else in the in the book. His his father has just deduced that you're going to have to take a leap of faith at mm-hmm. some point in time. And so it's the wild it's one of my favorite scenes in a movie. He he kind of closes his eyes and sticks his foot straight out and just like steps into the ravine. And it turns out whoever had covered up, you know, tried to cover up to protect this cup. Um, they had there, there was a rock bridge, but they had painted it to match the floor. Yeah. Like yeah. they had painted it to match the actual Canyon itself. But there was this, bridge across and so he grabs a pile of rocks and throws it out and you can see the pebbles kind of scatter over the bridge but i i think that 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 is sort of this this accurate description of facing facing the anxiety of our deaths right and also the true hope of christianity which is that there there is something there to land on right like there is something there to land on um and it yeah, so I that just popped up in, in, into my head. I'm glad you brought that up because it what we talked about in the last podcast is the tendency, I think, and that's where I think you see a lot of the anger at God is when us as Christians, when, when all of our hope is in eternity mm-hmm. and none of it is present in the now, mm-hmm. um, when 
when things are taken from you and taken from you and taken from you and all you're holding on to is something you can't see, feel, hear, touch, smell, like you you can't sense it at all, you start to become very bitter and angry, right? You're buffering your own death with something that you're not taking place in yet. And so, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it really accents like as a Christian, you do need like just as Christ did, but he, he faced death every day he woke up knowing how this was all going to end, mm-hmm. right? And he still chose to live. Right. Death is in the contract of life. That's how I like to think That's about it. That's it, it's yeah. like, And we sign it every morning when we put our feet on the right. floor. Um, right, but, Yeah. But it doesn't have to overwhelm us. Right. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, sorry, I got off on him. Big no, rabbit trail. That, that was good. No, that was <laughs> good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, I, it makes me, it makes me wonder. That, okay, so guys, if you don't know Lena, Lena is also an incredible storyteller, which you've probably already gathered <laughs> from the podcast. But I've noticed, I think over the years, in in having been present at least with the last three big losses of your life with your with your father, your mother, and your husband, how. How has you story you storytell a lot, whether mm-hmm, that's on Facebook mm-hmm. or when we're yeah, together? Yeah. It's like how I clearly are, and maybe I'm looking into that too much, but um, it seems like narrative, like narrative, is very helpful it in the grieving process. Yes. Yeah, could you talk a little bit about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. You know, we we tend to, and this is learned. This is a myth. Uh, shh, don't say anything, but they just lost so-and-so last week. Mm-hmm. And we tend to avoid it. But I say invite people mm. to your story because they don't know that they can talk about it unless you do. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give you a for instance, and I tell my class all the time, when you invite somebody, you're only in control of what you do. You can't control whether or not they're going to they're going to attend, uh, right? right? So you don't know whether they're going to feel comfortable being invited. Here's an example. Uh, a week after my dad died, I was at the grocery shop, uh, grocery store, and I saw his favorite cookies, Deloba cookies with the jam, the oval ones mm-hmm. with the jam inside, and I was reaching up to get it. And if you've ever gone through grief, you know what ambush is like. And just as I touched the box, I realized that he wasn't going to be home for me to take him to him. Mm. And I started crying because I am a daddy's girl. Mm. And I began to cry. And there was a lady in the down the way from me. And she kind of looked at me and then looked away really fast because she was uncomfortable. And she, when she looked at me again, I said, I just got ambushed. Now, this is a complete stranger. I meet more <laughs> people this way. I just got ambushed. This is my dad's favorite co- cookie. And I, I just lost him last week. He died last week. Now, she can either choose to go to the next aisle and get away from me as fast Mm -hmm. as she can, or she can engage with me, and Mm -hmm. she did. She came over. She touched me on the shoulder and said, I'm so sorry. That is comforting to me. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. comforts me. I I remember my class last semester. I I do go to class, and I I don't tell my class uh, about my personal life, okay? And so I, I was living with my mom. And we just gotten news about my daughter, and I, I was. It was the in the two weeks that I was really low, and I hadn't told my class about it. Met them every Tuesday night. There were about seventeen. Usually there are about forty in there, but I I think that's a God thing. That was a God thing for me that semester. 
And I went in, and I had just gotten a call saying that uh, my sister was with my mother, that things weren't looking too good. And so I was going to dismiss class early, but I had never told them that I was living with my mother. Mm. I never told them that she had cancer. Mm. I never told them that we had just gotten a diagnosis on my daughter. None of that. And I was carrying that. And I knew I had two guys in my class that had written papers and they were questioning God. So um, I so I went in my class and I was going to have to dismiss. So I said, I, I'm going to give you a lesson in life tonight. I'm not going to go into uh, what I had prepared for you, but I want you to know what, what I'm dealing with because I was crying. I walked into my classroom crying oh, and I had to tell them. So I felt like, okay, so now I'm sharing with them what I was going through. And so I said, so ask me any question you want to, because I'll give it to you raw, and then I'm going to dismiss class. And one of the guys said, Miss Barber, you you seem like a good Christian woman. Aren't you mad at God? Mm. And, and I said, on the contrary, I don't think I could do this without God. I know mm. I couldn't. I couldn't mm. do this without God. Mm. Because I got a news flash for you people. We're all going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure they didn't want to hear that. Mm. Uh, but we're all going to die. We just don't know the vehicle that's going to take us there. And, and I told them what I had just, what I was struggling with. And then I said, and I believe the only thing I have control of right now is to love them extravagantly. So I'm going to go home and love them. I'm going to love them. And another young lady raised her hand and said, can we come pray with you? And that whole classroom got around me and prayed for me, Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. And it comforted me so much. And so I'm saying, we don't have to walk this journey alone. Mm -hmm. It helps to have people. It helps to tell Mm -hmm. the story. Mm -hmm. Um, Josh, here's another thing I'd love to bring in. So... There are things that we do after someone has lost someone because we don't know how, right? We, we're not educated in how to talk to people mm-hmm. or what to say. or And everybody's different. We don't know if they're open to it. The morning after, uh, no, the day my husband died, um, they had just taken his body. I believe it was that day. And... My girl said, um, somebody just came to the house. And Josh had left. <laughs> Josh had left a beautiful big bouquet of flowers on our step. And a chicken, I'll never forget, salad. He brought everything. You know what? He didn't ask me, what can I do for you? Because you are so numb that you don't know. You mm-hmm. cannot decide anything. And it's something that you know it if you've gone through it. But I... I mean, I was guilty of saying, what can I do for you? And when you just do, it was it was such a beautiful gift to mm-hmm. me. And he, and he left it there, and they could see his car leave. And so I, I called him after that. Uh, he was texting me to tell me that something was on the front door because he didn't want he didn't want it to get bad. Uh, but things like that, when you have friends and you have community, um, you don't have to say the perfect words that will take away the mm. sorrow because you're not going to do it. There are no perfect words. No. But to walk with that person, even just a touch, even just that stranger's hand on my shoulder, um, 
even just I'm so sorry, even I don't know what to say, um, I'm hurting for you, I'm hurting with you. Knowing that you're not carrying that alone is huge. Mm-hmm. And so I think just being aware that we're not going to say the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. What is that all about anyway? When you go through the receiving line and you're listening to pe- what people are saying and you're, it's almost your turn and you want to say something to them, why do you want to do that? To make yourself mm-hmm. feel better? To insulate yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, sometimes words just aren't necessary. Mm-hmm. But being there is wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I had a little, uh, I got bashful when you brought me in there. <laughs> like uh, the leaving the flowers on your phone. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's important to say that I have, um, I have like a little mini you in my head sometimes, Lena. Do you? Yeah, I've spent. She's cute, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like. Do um, you know when when I was going through stuff at Lee, things became very difficult for me at a at a period of working there, and you came, uh, you came directly in with both your personality, your faith, and reality, and you. You, you squeezed them into my office because all three of those things are big for you, your faith, your personality, and how you carry reality, right? But you squeezed them all into a room, and you encouraged me, and you brought me hope, and I'll never forget that. I think that's what opened uh, like that connection between people mm-hmm. that happened in that moment for us. And yes. so like when, I, when I'm thinking about, my God, my, my friend Lena has just experienced two in just not even calculable not at just tremendous loss yeah in the last year it's like i feel that yeah. because you've let me into your life right like, i feel that there's a little mini lena in there <laughs> and i think she also gives me advice when i don't know what to say yeah. or what to do because you're so you're so good at seeing what a person may need or what a person may like or what they may be encouraged by and just sliding it in there and so yeah i think i think even in that moment kind of breaking down my process because i had talked to julia just before that and i was like we were headed up to the hike you know Uh, i was headed i was driving to virginia that day i was like i just i like i really would like to do something something for Lena and if I really really scan myself to think okay where did that come from Mm. that's like it came from the connection that we've had as friends over the years and being there for each other and real like I but I guess I guess you may not know what to say or what to do at all if you're not actually emotionally connected to people and I think that's the value of allowing yourself to to share the story in the grocery store, yeah, right. Yeah. Like there's no connection without right. The, there's no connection right. without the story. You don't. That's know why it. the narrative is important. Yes, and the authenticity comes through mm. better than anything, mm-hmm. more than anything. Um, you know, yes. people know mm-hmm. if you're authentic. Well, and and I knew you genuinely and, care. And I knew, I knew in that. In that moment in my office when you came in and you, you put your hands on my shoulder when I was sitting at my desk and you prayed over me. And I, I grew up 
in a Pentecostal mm-hmm. faith and tradition. And in in that moment, if you would have asked me 40 minutes before that moment, what what is the last thing you need? Mm-hmm. I would have said for somebody to lay hands on me and mm-hmm. pray for me. But you are, I, I know that it's, I know it's genuine. Mm. I know, I knew in that moment, this is, this is genuine. And this is actually what, this is actually what I need. Mm. Um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe the chicken on the doorstep is the reciprocation. That exactly of exactly <laughs> what I needed. Oh, and but it was just, like a hug. Yes. That chicken was like a hug to me. <laughs> and you know what? There is something about a hug. And mm-hmm. I, I know there, everybody's not a hugger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you do is you don't make a person uncomfortable by, by putting something on them that they're not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But you let them know that uh, you care in some mm-hmm. way, and there's always a way mm-hmm. to show that. Mm-hmm. That genuine. Yeah. You know, it's just it's amazing to me that our conversation has turned into how to live well. Mm-hmm. And there's there is there's something about facing death and mm-hmm. facing grief and facing transition and facing things you have no control over that just if you process it well and especially because we're friends like yeah. and we're processing it well it it immediately sort of pushes you into a space where you want to live well and you Absolutely. start talking about okay so how do we live yeah. live well and and that's that's just mind blowing to me how that seems to happen. Yeah. Um, but it has happened even just now. Yeah, I, I think uh, here's another myth mm. that we think when we've lost a loved one that we cannot laugh mm. or we feel this guilt mm. over because we're living and they're not. Mm. And, um, you know, we wouldn't want that for anybody. Mm-mm. And they certainly wouldn't want it. And and I I, I kind of feel feel still being my cheerleader a lot of times. Mm. I I still feel him saying, "You go, girl," mm. because he gave, he blessed me with beautiful words. Mm. And I think when he said those words to all of us, he was weary. Mm. He told me, "I'm weary." And he said, don't weep for me. And a big old tear fell on his chest. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's another myth. Don't cry. Don't feel bad. Mm. We we can't wear the mask. No. Be authentic. Be real. Mm. And I laughed while I was crying on him. Mm. And I said, well, that worked, didn't it? Mm. And I said, I never have listened to you, have I? <laughs> <laughs> and I think being able to feel these imposing emotions, be laughing through. I, still, Magnolias. My favorite line in any movie is when Dolly Parton says, "Laughter through tears is my favorite emotion," mm. because it's giving us such a release. It's like that little hole at the teapot. Mm-hmm. It's it, yes. we are expressing, and we can. Um, you know, I think that. I think that we represent our loved ones that have gone better when we can, when we can smile and m- have memories of them that are mm. precious. And you know what I'm doing for Thanksgiving? Mm. My girls don't know this. I don't want them to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> um, where I got his shirts cleaned, 
Mm-hmm. And the favorite shirts that my girls have bought him for Christmases before. I just had placemats made out of them. No lie. Yeah, and I had bags, little cinch bags made out of them. And I love that. Mm. Um, I think I, I think there are such so many ways that Phil will never die mm-hmm. because we will tell funny stories about him oh, yeah. and we will remember him mm-hmm. in ways and... I think his grandchildren, great-grandchildren that, will, that have never met him will know him mm-hmm. as long as we speak mm. that's, and have memories, you know. It's a wonderful thing. It reminds me of the Dia, Dia de Muerto. Yeah. The, the, um, I believe it's just a Mexican holiday, though it might go into like southern america too but uh it's like the day of the day uh, yeah right? i just like, watched a video of that ju- yeah juicy cocoa uh, yes yeah cocoa that kind of talks about that and i i believe it's kind of accurate to the tradition traditions but that if the family if the family remembers the person they sort of they have an opportunity to come back to them on the dia de uh-huh. Marto, right and How so, about that? yeah that's an that's a really cool it's a yeah. really cool way of thinking about it but of of thinking about this thing that you know there's to there's an opportunity to ripple mm-hmm. through the lineage um, and to have your story told Absolutely. through your lineage, but also outside of your lineage. Like I'll be telling your story, you know, I, and and if I go before you, maybe you'll be telling mine. Oh, I assume. Josh. So uh, we never know, right? <laughs> That's we right. Never know. That's right. Just, we never know. We never know. We live each day to yes. the fullest. And and I think that there's. There's a lot of beauty when you position yourself, like what you said, with love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Bob Marley would also be proud of yes, you, because really, his answer was love, right? Is yeah. it what, what do we do? Well, we, we love, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like his concept. No worries, yeah. We just love. Man. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, that, that idea of loving while we can, mm-hmm. uh, and I think. There's so many people around us who need it. And we actually need to love. We need to do that. It's so good for us to do, though it's vulnerable. And you put yourself in a position where you can be hurt. Whatever is the opposite of love, I would I would designate that as hate. It's just poison. Yeah. It's when it's when you get to seventy five and you're laying on a bed and you're you know confessing to your hospice worker like i mean as a snake god yeah. wouldn't even touch me that's yeah. when you've participated in hate mm-hmm. for the, for your life like that's where that ends um and thank goodness that that was redemptive right, for him in the right. End, right what a beautiful thing um but to live a life of love without that regret it makes grieving easier for your family Absolutely. it makes grieving easier for Absolutely. your friends and then it also makes grieving easier for you yes like if i'm if i'm to die tomorrow i tell you like like an inventory an inventory of my life the things that i would regret the most or the times where i was most selfish that would be mm-hmm. certainly one of them and the times where I reacted out of bitterness and hate 
Mm-hmm. I think those would be my largest regrets. It makes me wonder if I should apologize for some of those things. I just had some things circle into my mind. Did you? I should be a, like uh, do some AA work okay. or something. Okay, that's conviction, not yes. condemnation. Hey, you okay, right you know on. that. Yes. I, in, uh, it's wonderful to have conviction. Sure. Because well, you can do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Well, And then it, it can become a lesson for yourself and for, for those around you. Um, but. It, it makes me think of another activity I talked about on the last podcast too, which is like if you're going to, you actually picture yourself dying right now. Like let's say we both drop dead right now. Mm-hmm. And this is just a thought exercise, but that you have to live your life on repeat from from birth till now mm-hmm. over and over again for eternity. What would What will you do different moving forward to make your life more livable? If, because you're going to have to relive it again. Yeah. As like when you start thinking, when you start thinking in that manner, everything that we're talking about starts making a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. It's like, well, it would be easier for me to live a life of love, even at the risk of being hurt. Right. But it would also be easier and better for the people Absolutely. around me as well. I would, I would, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well. Your wife's going to be so happy to see you when you get home and love on her (laughs) and your children. Yeah, man. It's so good to have conversations like this, Lena. I really appreciate your... I really appreciate your time. And I think I was going to ask at the end, you know, what is... What are a couple pieces of advice you have for somebody who may be grieving, but you've, you've laid everything out there so systematically and also with very, very relevant emotions... Uh, but do you feel like there's anything else that you would want to put you out know, there as important? Um, I, I think there. If if you are um, grieving someone and you have regrets, um, first of all, I'd love for you to find a counselor. Yeah. And work through that because you don't need to live with that. That person would not want you to live with that. Um, but if you have regrets, if you will, if you will just write a letter and, um, even if it's somebody that you're angry about cause they did you wrong, that letter, getting it out of your head and your heart and putting it on paper can be so healing and let somebody walk through that with you mm-hmm. because I think it's really important. I've done three letters, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a good exercise. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell you what, this grief recovery handbook will take you through that. It's wonderful. Uh, uh, this is what I was certified in, okay. uh, the grief recovery method, James and Friedman. We'll post a link. Yeah, yeah. good. Mm-hmm. It's a great book, and you can work through your uh, grief recovery. Here's a myth that, that I want to tell you about. When, when you hear it just takes time, a uh, hospice is known to stay with a caregiver 13 months after so 13 months after their loved one has died so they g- go through everything once and but you'll get that information and think oh i'm supposed to be okay now mm. and it puts a guilt on you that you may not be okay well it's like uh josh said it's a roller coaster ride mm-hmm. and you a never know one. absolutely yeah. and you never know what song might come on and ambush you or what smell i mean are through our senses mm-hmm. but um just grief recovery is action and it's not just sitting there or it's not just um um 
taking time. It's not getting so busy that you just fall into bed. All you do the narrative mm-hmm. with someone. Yes. Talk it out with mm-hmm. someone. Um, mm-hmm. Cry with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, get it out. And even if you don't have someone you trust, write it. Write it down. Be your own best counselor. Mm-hmm. You can do it. And and invest in people. Invest in um, loving people. You cannot go wrong. Mm-hmm. You cannot go wrong by doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. What a wonderful piece of advice. I, I'm, I'm of the opinion with you that I don't, <clears throat> I don't know that, I don't know that there's an end to grief. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that there. I don't feel that there is anyway, because there's always. <laughs> Yeah. There's always some sort of loss that presents itself that reminds us that sure. we are going to lose. But you know what? Else. It's it's an and like I said when we first started, grief is a new normal. Mm-hmm. I, right. You know, I mm-hmm. come in and we would we had a pattern every night. I'd come in and we cooked supper and we'd watch Jeopardy. That guy was winning so much, and we had rituals and things that we did that I looked forward to, and I would sit with my husband and say, this is my favorite part of the day. Well, mm-hmm. I don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's adjusting to the new norm mm-hmm. and, and making that move to the new norm. And grief is wanting to tell somebody something and they're no longer there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I was going to call Philip the other day and tell him about some news I heard and mm-hmm. I had his phone number dialed and Gosh. realized he's not there mm-hmm. and a fresh set of tears mm-hmm. uh, it's grief is regrouping mm-hmm. but life is worth life is worth learning to to uh, to re reform and reinvest and um and you know you'll have a new normal it'll be different um, but you can still have peace in it and you can have joy. Um, and you can also have sadness because they coexist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Lena. And, <clears throat> and I know from my own process of grief, just writing the little blog that I put out, Eat the Frogs First, I put it out, um, is a narrative of my grandfather. Uh, and it's been it's been years it's been 15 years um and still those memories are just so fresh but i think what what that type of work is what you just said adjusting to that normal over time and writing a narrative and taking Mm -hmm. yourself and that event seriously like Mm -hmm. like allowing it to be a serious part of your life and brush people off that say you should be over that by now right. just like brush that away it's yeah. like over what like yeah. my life is different now yeah. um yeah. so i it's not getting over something it's like i'm now living differently altogether yeah um so i think uh, if anybody's interested in reading that it's actually on traverse's website so Great. um as maybe it's a template for how you can do it or if you know lena check out Check out her statuses on her Facebook because she does a wonderful job telling stories about the people that she loves. So, um, well, thanks, Lena. I, I appreciate your time. Thank um, you. And all the wisdom and insight you shared with us, but also just uh, I really like that we got to have a conversation. Me too. <laughs> I love getting able to spend time with you. I it's always nice. do too. Yeah. So, um, guys, uh, the next podcast 
a little unsure of what it's going to be on, but hopefully it will be, um, hopefully it'll be something you enjoy, uh, and maybe have that out in the next couple of weeks. So thanks again, Lena. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. You have been listening to The Counselor's Chair, sponsored by Traverse Counseling Services. For more information, visit our website at www.traversecounselingservices.com or email us at contact at infotraverse.com. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. This podcast was recorded and produced by Josh Sello.